Welcome to the Today Counts show. Today does count because it impacts, it influences your tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. The Today Counts podcast is sponsored by the generous donors of the Lead Today community. I'm your host, Kim Piper. Well, welcome again to the Today Counts show. Today, I want to talk about a topic that I think interests any business owner, any ministry leader, or business leaders, uh, for that matter, and and really the the general public. You know, m- maybe it's just me, but customer service, hospitality is is a, an important topic for me. Uh, you know, may, maybe I am needy. <laughs> maybe I expect too much. Uh, you can probably accuse me of those things. So let's just get that done right away. When when I go to a restaurant of a certain stature, I do expect a certain thing. When I go to a retail store or a service center of some sort um, or a professional, there is something I have expectations. Maybe you don't. Maybe you come in and whatever is, is. But um, I, I'm a person that has high expectations for myself, and I probably translate those uh, to other like situations where the tables are turned and, and I'm the customer. Uh, well, l- let's color it in just a little bit, can we? So let's say I'm on business and I'm in Denver, Colorado, and it's March, and March teases Denver. Some days you get some amazing days, 60 degrees, heck, even 70. Uh, in March in Denver is a beautiful, beautiful day. And then, of course, you can get two feet of snow the next day. I'm not exaggerating. That has happened. I've been there. It's happened. But let's just say that I'm there in March, and we're not getting two feet of snow, but it is snowing. And I had a long day serving, working, and I'm by myself, and I decide to drive into the local restaurant. It looks like a, a decent place. I might be familiar with the brand. I might not be, but it looks somewhat elevated. And so I drive up to the uh, restaurant, and uh, these things occur. This, to me, would be customer service or hospitality. I get out of the car, and I walk to the sidewalk. Well, first of all, I, I notice that the, you know, the, the parking lot has been plowed the best it can with cars going in and out. And the, the walkways have been shoveled. And then not only have they been shoveled, but there's uh, some sort of application that's been put on the sidewalks. It's not salt probably anymore, but some kind of new technology that keeps me from slipping. And so with confidence, I walk up. And another thing I notice, since most doors of restaurants are made of glass, not all, but some, I notice that the windows are clean. I can see through them. Uh, It's great. And as I'm reaching for the door, (gasps) the door opens. It's not automatic. There's actually a human being who was watching and waiting, opens the door for me, and I walk through. Warmly greets me, says, good evening, glad that you're here. As I continue to take a few more steps, I notice that there is a young lady who has shown me her pearly whites that also seems authentic to me. And as I walk over, she greets me, asks me if I'm dining with someone else tonight. You know, she just tries to understand so that she can serve me. But then the phone rings right next to her. But what's amazing is she doesn't even look to her left where the phone is. She continues to look at me, talk with me, and then she or another person grabs the menu and off I go. Most likely, if that was the introduction to that place that 
uh, hospitable type of experience, it's most likely going to continue throughout. Um, but let's rewind and let's talk about what I usually experience, and maybe you do too. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just be patient with me and relax, whether you're running or on the treadmill or outside or whether you're lifting weights or walking or whether you're driving down the car, cleaning house. Let's just use our imagination for typically what happens, especially nowadays, right? Because the world is saying we can't find workers, right? We can't find workers. So that has exasperated the things that I'm going to say. But you know what? If it is true that we can't find workers, and, and I know that to some degree it is because I've had the same trouble, but man, what an opportunity it is for those that have some ambition, some that want to you know, apply their, their God-given breath and heartbeats and opportunity. Man, what an opportunity today has for those that have just a little bit of direction and ambition. But anyway, so same scenario. We drive up and you could tell that, you know, they wanted to save the money. They did not want to plow uh, because that that gets into their margins. And so then you walk up to the sidewalk and, you know, um, I like to kind of wear tennis shoes, even if I'm wearing dress clothes. If I'm dressing, you know, the business casual today is kind of my style. I don't mind putting on a pair of slacks and a nice button up shirt, but I still like wearing those tennis shoes. Um, I do. And so the problem is I walk up and there's like three or four inches of snow on the sidewalk. And now my tennis shoes are wet. Um, I walk up, there's, there's smudges and fingerprints all over the, the window, which makes me wonder, did they sweep and wash the floor? Did they clean off the tables? They clean off the booths and the seats. I wonder what the kitchen looks like. I wonder what the restrooms look like. Well, I'll find that out pretty soon. But anyway, as I brave all of these things in my OCD, you might say, mindset, I walk in and sure enough, I open my own door. No big deal. It's no big deal. It really isn't. No big deal. But it would have been cool if somebody else did it. But, you know, I, I get it. I opened my own door to go to my house. So that's fine. And so I walk in and, and well, there she is, but... I can't see her eyes because she's looking down. You know, she's looking down and she's got a grease pencil in her hand or or maybe they're a little more high tech and she's punching things, you know, on her screen. And, and you know, she knows I'm here. She knows I'm here. She felt the cold air. She heard the door squeak. I came through. I mean, because if the door is dirty, it squeaks. <laughs> and somehow, some way, she still doesn't see me. I'm waiting. I'm still waiting, you know. Still waiting. I mean, what's the big deal? If I was a farmer, it'd take me a lot longer to make my food, but now I'm going to go simply order something. It'll come to my table. But yeah, I'm I'm still kind of waiting. And, uh, you know, oh boy. All kinds of certain thoughts go through my mind that I have to fight off so I don't become Joe Negative. And, oh, she looks at me and she says, uh, without a smile, uh, how many in your party? Do you have a reservation? It's just more like an attack. Like, what in the world am I doing here? I'm messing up things. I wasn't part of the plan. Um, I just kind of dropped in like a stranger. Uh, And then as she is trying to gather herself and figure out where she's going to seat me, the phone rings. Oh, and you know, it doesn't matter that I drove in the snow and I came out and walked through the snow and came inside. For some reason, that person who is a lazy butt sitting at home in their pajamas who makes the phone call is going to order takeout or whatever the heck is going to happen. Somehow, some way, 
that customer takes priority. And so she takes the phone and then she goes, if she apologizes, which I frankly hope that she doesn't because I wouldn't understand the apology because to me it'd be like, I'm sorry that you were customer one and then I dropped you to customer two so that I could really talk to customer one because you're really customer two. And I'm, if I'm sorry, I'm really sorry that you're not important enough to keep your stature and your place in line or something like that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm being a little melodramatic, but it is an experience. The same thing happens at your service station. Same thing uh, happens at the hotel, you know, that you have been to. Um, these things happen. And again, I'm, I'm leading to something. Before I get to that certain something, I just want to ponder something. I, I think that when, you know, customer service is a modern phrase, I'm not sure how long it's been around, but, you know, I don't think they use that term, you know, back in the Old Testament days, you know, I don't think 4,000 years ago, they, I, I could be wrong, but I really don't think customer service was was there. But you know what word was there? In, in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, now Leviticus is, if you ask somebody, if you ask any uh, casual Christian or, or Bible reading Christian, um, or anyone who's read the Bible, if you ask them, have you read the book of Leviticus? I would suggest to you that the answer for most will be, well, I tried, or no, I haven't. And or, and those who say, yes, I have, and it's like they want to hang up a diploma in their office because they got through the book of Leviticus. It's a tedious book. It's a, it's a book of law, all kinds of law. But what I find interesting in the book of Leviticus is that as the law is being laid out for the Hebrew people, one thing is made very clear is that they are commanded that whenever foreigners come into their land, they are to welcome them as a brother, welcome them as a neighbor, welcome them as a friend, and literally take them in. And the whole idea behind it is not to put them on the dirt floor. No, no, no. What we're talking about with this, this Hebrew law of caring for foreigners who come in is, you know, let's bring it to the modern sense. Can you smell the blueberry muffins or the blackberry pie or the apple pie baking in the oven and the aroma as as they walk in? Uh, the interest in who they are, the ability to bathe and clean themselves. Think of pressed and clean white sheets and a nice bed. Um, that's kind of the idea, you know, behind this this word, hospitality. It, it assumes that somebody is in need. It assumes that somebody is weary. It assumes that, that somebody needs a helping hand. Hospitality has a deep and rich heritage, a rich meaning, versus today it has been turned into a profession, if you will, of hotels and restaurants and the like. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it might make it more difficult just because of the volume. But also in the New Testament, as the church was exploding in growth, I find it also interesting that the founders, uh, specifically the Apostle Paul, as he was trying to help uh, care for the needs of, of all of these new believers, uh, you know, and again, the church was known as the way, people of the way, um, they created an, the, the position of elder. 
an elder, someone who shepherds, someone who teaches, someone who who cares for, who um, is part of the oversight of the movement. And in the, one of the qualifications for that person was, you ready? Hospitality. And once again, hospitality was understood as somebody who'd be willing to take in strangers, to take in strangers. So when we talk about customer service today, I think it would be helpful to look through the lenses of hospitality, what it looks like. But here's where I think we struggle. Um, Some of us are really good at putting together systems for customer service or hospitality. So for example, you could write in your operations manual that once we have X amount of snow that comes, we have it plowed and we shovel the sidewalk and it's part of somebody's job description and they do that. And Maybe we have a doorman and a doorman smiles and says such and such. And then the hostesses are taught to smile and look at someone and, and then, you know, do, do their jobs. And you can, you can write these systems and you can write a checklist. You can do training, training on it. But what it usually misses is what I really want to talk about here. And we kind of gloss over what really makes an organization special. Systems are important. You, you, absolutely. Training is, is really important. That, that's all significant. But what we sometimes forget is the individual and the makeup of individuals that make up organizations. And specifically what I'm talking about is charisma. Charisma. If we're going to talk about hospitality or customer service in our businesses and our ministries, one of the things that we need to do is go back to some basic blocking and tackling. And everybody can have more charisma. Now, now let's face it. So, some folks, they, they're just born with it, right? They, they got a chuckle. They got a smile. They got a handshake. They got a body language that, that says, I love you. You love me. The world is great. Okay, well, we're not talking about those people. <laughs> but we're talking about the rest of us. And the rest of us that are somewhat normal. <laughs> let's just let's just say that somewhat normal. So what what is charisma? Well, this past November, uh, we had a special occasion at, at our home. Um, there was a renewal of vows. Um, my daughter and her husband uh, wanted to renew their vows in front of the family and several guests. And th- these were guests that not all of our family members understood. And so I thought it would be kind of fun when I, as the grandfather, uh, gathered my seven grandchildren around me, and uh, we had uh, Maverick, uh, age of you know three, and uh, my eldest at the age of fourteen. So I gathered them all around and I gave them a job. And what I said is, what I'd like you guys to do is, I would like you to greet everyone who comes in the door, because most of them you're not going to know, and we're not going to know. And so it's a little bit awkward. So what I'd like you to do is, and they were all dressed really nice, right? They had little suits on, dresses on. I mean, they were just, you know, they're great. Seven of them, seven of my grandkids. And so we practice. I said, so here's what this looks like. You stand up straight. Uh, Well, first of all, when you see them coming and you can see them coming, open the door. And then one of you uh, stand up straight, smile, um, say, welcome to our home. My name is such and such and reach out your hand 
to shake. Now, you can only imagine with seven grandkids from that age, some thought that was hilarious. They snickered. They thought it was silly or whatever. But I just kept persisting. And I said, no, this is what we do. It makes you look like a nice young man, a nice young woman. It represents Papa's home really well. And so I practiced with them, each and every one. Now, obviously, when it was game time, right, some did pretty well and some not so not so well. But let me tell you what happened. For those that stepped up and did it, it just blew folks away as they were coming through. Never had they been greeted by young people like that, so proper and kind and sensitive. I mean, that is charisma. That's charisma. Um, One of the first things that I've got to get better at doing in my personal charisma is smiling, is smiling. And, And I think I'll have to work on it my whole life. And it's not because I'm sad or angry or, you know, it's not, I'm a serious person. And um, I remember when I was first giving sermons and learning how to teach and preach and all, all of that, my dad came and listened to one and, and I asked him for some feedback and it was really great. My dad was so generous and gracious and he, he told me about how I was easy to follow. The outline was obviously well-prepared. The intro, the outro, the illustrations, the energy, the passion, the belief, it was all good. It was all good. He did have an area, though, where he encouraged me. He, he said, what would make it even better is if you smiled more, if you smiled more. And, you know, I didn't even know I wasn't smiling. I didn't even know. And, and so ever since then, and that was a long time ago, that was in the 1980s, I, I know it, but I still sometimes forget. So smiling is just so important. It's contagious. Smiling gets other people uh, to smile. Another thing that helps with charisma is that when you meet with somebody for the first time or the second time or the 10th time, remember that you're always making a first impression. And I mean, again, it it might be your 10th meeting, but you're still making a first impression for that meeting. And first impressions are hard to shake. It's hard to reshape your personality in the mind of another person um, when our first impressions are bad. And, you know, I really think this needs to be taught at the executive level and and all the way down to your, to grandkids. It, It needs to be something that you could put in culture guides. You can put them in, in training manuals. I mean, Dale Carnegie courses used to teach this stuff all the time. Uh, so what are we talking about specifically with the first impressions besides the smile? Uh, well, eye contact. Eye contact is critical. Um, match the talking speed of the other person. If you're an extrovert, you might tend to like to talk a lot. And without realizing, you probably talk too much. You, you probably do. And you probably repeat yourself more. And, um, you know, that's, that's something to think about. So match the talking speed. Make sure that it's a good back and forth. Also, ask good questions. You know, stop asking about the weather or coming in the weather or the favorite football team or, or this or that. But ask good questions. Show interest in the other person. Never give a feeling of being rushed. Don't look over the shoulders, but even more than looking over shoulder, the the new looking over the shoulder is now taking a peek at your phone. I mean, it's just changed, right? It's just different now. So today, when you look over someone's shoulder, you're usually taking a peek at your phone. And I'll be the first one to admit, 
you know, my, my phone is my, is my first computer. It is my telephone. It is my notepad. It is, you know, it's amazing what these smartphones can do. But the downside of it is they become more important sometimes than the person right in front of us. So, you know, it also means that we need to be fully present. And we're not somewhere else mentally or emotionally. We're, we're, we're there. Now, because I've struggled with this in my life, because I'm a task-oriented person, for those of you who are a task-oriented person, this really applies. Um, the relational person who's just naturally gifted in that way will have a little better stickiness, if you will, in dialogue. But those of us who are task-oriented persons, when when we're with somebody for a period of time, there's just something internally inside of us that says, oh my gosh, how long have I been here? There's so much I've got to do. And it's not that we don't care about the person in front of us, but in some ways we kind of care more about getting stuff done, right? And so that's that's a problem. That's a problem. And it's something that we need to work on. So on, on my playbook, both my personal and my professional playbook, on my personal playbook, um, I, I have... I have values and habits that I'm trying to practice that tell my wife, that tell my kids and my grandkids and my friends that they matter more to me than anyone else. And a lot of that comes simply by being present when I'm with them to be present. First, to make an effort to be with them. And then when I am with them, to be truly with them. I think that's going to be a lifelong battle for me. But if we were to ask them today, I think they would all say I'm miles and miles away from where I was in a good way. So I think that can be talked about and can be taught. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, be careful you don't stoop down to the negativity of different situations, negative energy, gossip, uh, you know, whatever. I heard in a podcast just the other day, something that I thought was pretty interesting. If you want to be a person of charisma, then, you know, rise above every negative circumstance, every negative um, statement. Find a way to be a little higher. It doesn't mean that you're not acknowledging realities, but, you know, just work on stopping the spread of negative energy. Um, negative energy is definitely not charismatic, right? But finding a way out, finding another perspective, um, that's charismatic. Um, being others-focused is generally kind of what, what we're talking about here. Genuine curiosity. Genuine curiosity in the other person makes you charismatic, makes you very charismatic. And then I'm going to tell you a story here in just a second, but before I do, I'm actually going to read it and, and I'll, I'll explain what I'm reading from in a moment. But then how can we forget humor? Uh, humor is so important. I think the gift that humor gives is not just to the conversation, not just to the group, not just to the situation, but I have found it to be very helpful for me. As I said earlier, I've always uh, been that serious person and as I've aged, I've, I think I've been doing much better making that shift from taking seriously my craft and what I'm doing, but taking myself less seriously, meaning that I can laugh at myself. I, I, I could even make fun of myself sometimes and, and just be a little more uh, lighthearted. Man, that goes a long way. Take the heaviness. I mean, on one hand ask deeper questions. But on the other hand, 
take the heaviness out of things. Not only do you and I need to work on charisma, but if we're going to instill hospitality and customer service in the environments in which we lead, we do need to start helping others see the importance of becoming a charismatic individual. And it's not that big old thing about being on stage or being Elvis Presley or or whatever your immediate thought is about charisma. Uh, a story was interesting to me that I discovered in a book titled The Pursuit of Excellence by Ryan Hawk. To give you the background of this little story, I mean, it's a real simple little story that in London in the summer of 1886, there were two guys that were running against each other to be the prime minister of the UK. Now, I do know enough about history to know that in 1886, if you were the prime minister of the United Kingdom, um, you know, you were basically ruling half of the, the known world. And so that's a big deal. One guy's name was William Gladstone, and he was up against a guy named uh, Benjamin Disraeli, if, I, if I'm saying that right, Disraeli. And in the process of them running, they both happened to take the same woman out to dinner, out to dinner. And the press, of course, found that out and wanted to dig, as they always do, and get what her impressions were of these two rivals, where she had dinner with them. And here's what she said. She said, after dining with Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest person in England. But after dining with Mr. Disraeli, I thought I was the cleverest person in England. So that's the quote. And then Ryan wraps it up this way, the author of the book. Guess who won the election? It was the man who made others feel intelligent, impressive, and fascinating. It was Benjamin Disraeli. If you are not part of the Lead Today community, let me invite you. You can go to leadtodaycommunity.com and sign up for the Leadership Kit. So again, thank you for joining with us. Tell a friend if you enjoyed this. We would really appreciate it.